2 Timothy 3. Hopefully, what happens between now and noon tomorrow is this like funnel approach. So going from broad to specific. So we'll narrow this in a little bit, having set the stage on really the relatability we have with our children, whether you are just getting started in parenting or maybe you're at the other end. Uh, maybe like me, you're still in the thick of it. Uh, we, we really can relate to our children because we, like them, live out of our hearts. But Second Timothy 2, I, I think, illustrates Proverbs 22.6. If Proverbs 22.6 is talking about train up a child in the way he should go, Second Timothy 3 gives us one example in Scripture of how that was playing out in the life of a young man. It says, verse 14, But as for you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Just a couple things to note there before we go into it. What a, what a blessing to grow up in a home with the sacred writings. What a blessing to grow up in a home with Scripture. Uh, my testimony, perhaps many of yours in the room, would, would certainly remind us that at the end of the day, it is the grace of God that saves. I did not grow up in a home uh, hearing the Scriptures. Uh, I became a Christian near to my 17th birthday, and when that happened... I did ask if we had a Bible in the house. That's how unacquainted with the scriptures I was. <laughs> Turns out we did have a Bible in the house uh, that my mom went and found, looking at me rather perplexed as to what I was doing asking uh, for a Bible. In fact, I remember I had uh, an independent reading class. I was a junior in high school, which was really glorified study hall, but they had to give it a name. So it was independent reading. All you did was make a contract with the teacher these are the books I'll read, and you had to give a brief report. I was in the middle of Pet Cemetery by Stephen King when I got converted, and I dropped this beastie old KJV Bible down the next day and asked, can I change my contract? And Mr. Murphy's like, to what? Uh, to, to this. So what are you planning to do with that? And I'm going to read it from now until the end of the school year, and, and I did, and he allowed me to change the contract. Uh, so I never did finish Pet Cemetery. If anybody finished that book off, let me know uh, what happened. But what a blessing it is to grow up in a home like that, but more so, what a blessing to know that for all the stuff that's out there, in fact, without his permission, I'm going to recommend a book for those who have daughters tomorrow uh, a gentleman brought up a copy of Shepherding a Child's Heart during the break, which a lot of what I'm parenting out of is influenced by. There's some outstanding stuff out there on parenting, resources, supplemental things. But there's also a lot of confusing stuff out there. And there are experts, and there's this and there's that. How kind of God to give us his word. This is what we need more than anything else uh, for parenting. In fact, sort of downplaying his own contribution... From Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp said the following, If you're to sort through the welter of confusion about child-rearing, you must go to the Scriptures for answers. I'm committed to the fact that the Scriptures are robust enough to provide us with all the categories and concepts we need for this task. 
For too long, the church has tried to integrate biblical and non-biblical thought forms to answer the questions of parenting. The resulting synthesis has produced bitter fruit. We need to understand our task biblically. I think he's right. And that's actually very refreshing. That we, we actually don't have to be experts in every possible field that might remotely relate to parenting. What we need is to humbly depend on the Word of God and what God has revealed in His Word. And what He's revealed here in 2 Timothy 3 is that what our children need, whether they're toddlers through the teen years into the young adult years, and I would venture to say really as long as we're breathing, you never stop being a parent. The seasons just change, right? And the season your children live at home apparently is getting longer all the time. So you may feel like you're parenting for a whole lot longer. Anyway, uh, what our children need is an authentic, not perfect, but an authentic example. Paul says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That phrase, knowing from whom you learned it, he's not saying you, you merely, you know the name. You remember who? No, that's not what he's saying. Like, you know them. You, you know them in their character. You know them relationally. You, you know that their way of life was a particular way. You know them. Our, our children know us. They know us. They live with us. They know who we are. They know us pretty well. And what they need from us is an authentic, not a perfect, because none of us can offer that. Only Christ can offer that. They need an authentic example. Timothy had that. He had some compelling examples. He had his mother. He had his grandmother, which don't know that it's even why it's written this way. It was what God intended, but it's a reminder to me too that you know, even, even in a home where you've got one parent who's a believer, one who's not, God can work there. Sure did in Timothy's life. He had his grandmother, he had his mother. And in looking back on my own story, the most influential person for Christ in my life prior to me becoming a Christian was my step-grandmother. Because God can work all things for good. All things for good. He can, he can take... A divorce, and through that, put me in a setting where one weekend a month, I'm with a step-grandmother who's a born-again Christian, who used to drive me nuts, taking me to Sunday school as a kid. And when I was old enough to stop going when I was a teen, I would stop going, but man, she had a way. She, she didn't even try to make me feel guilty, just like the phone would ring, it's Graham, like, oh, you know, <laughs> like, how, do you, how do you say no to her? You know? But you know who my first prayer meeting was as a Christian? She lived three hours away. It was with Graham and her sister and her husband. I was 16 and 11 months old, praying with three mid-70-year-old. That was my very first prayer meeting. She's still living. She, she gave $50 to help get my daughter Ellie to India on her first missions trip last summer. God God works. They need authentic examples. If I'm learning anything about parenting, it's this. 
I'm having an undeniable and inescapable effect on my children. It's undeniable. It's inescapable. Now, it's not necessarily ultimate, but it is undeniable. And it is inescapable. We're really presenting something to our children. We're really having an impact on our children. The question is what? What is that impact? And of course, we don't necessarily have the answer to that question yet. That's a time kind of answer. But over time, what will be that impact and that effect? Parenting that portrays the gospel begins with an authentic example of how we're being changed. How is Jesus changing us? Not only what was our testimony when we believed, but how is he right now, by his Spirit, changing us? I think the most effective way for me to parent is, by the grace of God, understand myself. Why do I do what I do? Why does my wife do what she does? And the more we understand that, the more we can provide an example to our children. Why that, important, that question is so important, why do I do what I do, is because modeling always precedes teaching. I mean, we, we might want to tell our children, do as I say, not as I do, but it does not work that way, does it? Modeling precedes teaching. Our children are studying our lives. Doesn't mean they're telling you they're doing that. Doesn't mean they're even always conscious that they're doing that. But what Paul's saying to Timoth- Timothy, you know. You know Timothy. And just try to imagine that moment as Timothy reads that, as he, as he gets those words and all the memories that would have conjured up for him. You know, all the moments with his mother and his grandmother that when, when he read, you, you know from whom you've heard. It's the same. And it's astonishing to me the things that we think are so little, so mundane, so ordinary, how those things can turn out to be the very same things that your children are testifying to later were so significant and impactful for them. I find it almost almost impossible to believe this but June 18th, at six weeks from now, whatever, is my 25th high school reunion. I remember going, I remember going to Maine. I didn't go to my mother's 25th. She, she graduated in the state of Maine. I remember I was going on vacation to Maine and her going to her 25th thinking, you very old woman, you know, you're going like, who's even living that long, you know, like, oh my goodness, it's this year. Well, that, that, that led to these mailers and all these things. And uh, so I get this email, total random email, from uh, a, uh, a lady who was in the same church as me after I became a Christian. Barely, I, I, I knew her from church, knew her in high school. We didn't have a particularly big high school, but I, I didn't really know her. Her name's Jen. I knew that. Well, apparently... One night, we were at the barn at the same time. The barn was this like youth hangout place that about six area churches would sort of funnel into. It was actually pretty cool. It was literally a barn that they'd cleaned out and dumped a boatload of sand into the bottom and made a sand volleyball court. Uh, and, and there were uh, about eight adults there all the time. And they, they put on a clinic of discipleship without ever telling us that's what was going on. 
We just played, and they were just there like, hey, how you doing, Aaron? What's going on? Next thing you know, you're in a 90-minute conversation, and you're praying, and they, they were just phenomenal at how they went about it. Well, apparently one night, I was in a conversation, and Jen happened to be at the table, and I said something. 25 years later, she said to Seema, hey, I don't think you ever knew, but this is what you said. On, I mean, do you remember what you said when you were 18? Uh, how much have we forgotten? And And... Said, you know, and she said in the email, I never forgot that. I think, my goodness, if 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 one random one-off night could lead to somebody remembering something, somebody being impacted, somebody being encouraged, oh my goodness, how much more is that true in parenting? Where they're with us day in and day out, and vice versa. Modeling precedes our teaching, our children are studying our lives. Our lives are having an impact. Ideally, I say ideally because none of us gets this perfectly, beginning with me. Ideally, teaching involves explaining to our children what they're already seeing us model. Not explaining to our children that which is a contradiction from what we model. You follow? Timothy, you know You know them. You know your mother. You know your grandmother. And you know their way of life. And then what they taught you was like pretty close to the same. And by the grace of God, that's what we want to give to our kids. That that what we're doing and what we're saying by grace are compatible. Hopefully, virtually, as close to possible, identical. It's not going to mean a whole lot other than hypocrisy if I'm trying to instruct one of my children on, let's say, patience. If I'm blowing it every time I'm in a car rental place. Well, I'll give myself a pass. They weren't with me on that one. But you know what? If if, if it's happening there, it's probably happening at home, too, in different ways. Which, by the way, did provide me, and I, I did have an opportunity to tell one of my kids about it. Uh, one of the things we get to model for our children is responding to God's grace. And so I told them about they they got they they came out of the house yesterday as I pulled them with the car, and they like, oh wow, I like this car, it's red. And I said, yeah, I was kind of red earlier, and then I began to tell the story a little bit, and. Just realizing in that, you know, the point in telling them that wasn't to have some big life lesson, but hopefully along the way they're picking up, you know what? Dad will admit it and take ownership when he blows it. He, 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 he'll tell us ways in which he sees, ah, that didn't honor the Lord. I want to be different next time. You know, we, we get to model not just our successes but our need for grace as well. And by the way, what success have we ever had that didn't come from grace? So it's all going to come from grace, one way or the other. Our example's not perfect. That is so refreshing. At least it can be. None of us are perfect. And we need to find appropriate ways as our children age to introduce them to that reality. Because most kids... Kids, kids are pretty amazing. Uh, one thing, you don't have to teach them to sin when they're young. They'll figure that out all on their own. And number two, most of the time, 
while they're young, I'm not saying when they're adolescents, but while they're young, they'll think you're superheroes. You're like the coolest thing. You can do anything. And they get this image of us that we're just like, you know, so big and grand and everything. And so we've got to find appropriate ways to introduce them to reality that I'm in need of grace just like you're in need of grace. So I have a 15-year-old son, and we had fun with this. I, I got back from a trip, and my, my phone was on the fritz. And they know, you know, that your phone knows when your contract is about up because that's immediately when it starts to go on the fritz just to set you up to go in and buy another phone. And they were doing the two-for-one deal, add a line, you know, spend more money and we'll give you something for free mantra, that idea. So we go in and uh, my son and I uh, now have matching phones. Uh, my wife noticed that his phone's better than hers, so we need to resolve that when we get home. But he's 15. And so... There's realities that when he was five weren't the same. And so we're talking about uh, being covenantized partners with one another, with our phones, if you know what covenantized is. Hey, buddy, anything, anywhere my phone travels with these fingers, it's going to go to you, and vice versa. And he's cool with that. And I'm glad he's cool with that. But part of me in pride would like to tell him, now I don't need that, but for your benefit, we'll do that. Okay? And just so to make it even, we'll do it together. Even Stephen. So y'all looked at my son and said, listen, I love your mom. I love my wife with all my heart. But I don't want to be living like I'm beyond a temptation. And so... What do you say we do this together? And I don't want you to feel like something crazy, strange is happening to you that you have to hide from everybody if you find yourself one day tempted in a particular way. I'm here for you. Man, it's a weird conversation. So different than just buying a matchbox at Walmart, you know? It's not, he's not five anymore. He's not five anymore. Hopefully in that, he's getting, he knows dad's not perfect, but what he's getting in that hope is dad's trying to model something. I'm trying to model community, the need for others in our life, dependency, a number of things, but also that uh, none of us ever reaches a point where we're past any temptation. What Paul tell the Galatians? Be careful. How you think you stand and you're taking your boast about how you stand that you what? That you fall. And so I think he's going to have to see something in me related to accountability before I offer a whole lot of teaching to him about accountability. Modeling precedes teaching. An authentic example. I, I believe... Let's put this in the general principle. I believe the more honesty and humility 
about our own lives that we can cultivate with our children, the more influence we will gain with our children. Now again, age appropriate. You're not telling your toddler things. You're, you're, not, you're just not having those same conversations. So I trust you, you have the Holy Spirit in you to help you, guide You talk to other parents who are maybe a couple years ahead of you. Hey, how did you do that? How did you introduce that topic? When did you feel? Because it's different. It's different in different houses. But generally speaking, the more honesty and humility about our own lives we can cultivate, the more likely we can influence our children. Had a, an evening a couple years back, sitting at a Starbucks uh, with one of my teenagers, and, and it was one of those nights of, of bringing them into a piece of my life, a piece of my past, that it seemed like it's time to do that for a variety of reasons at that time, and, and they teared up as I shared. Two months or so later, uh, they shared some things. God had met them in a meeting, and they shared, and one of the questions we asked was, so what, why tonight? What, what got you here? Why, why are you sharing this now? Among other things they said, one of them was, after you shared that night, I felt like it was okay to share this. Like you would understand. It was hard to hear. It was, you know, it's, it's I mean, who, who, I mean, who, who wants, you, you know what I mean? Like you want your children coming to you confessing things and then they're just thinking, oh, I was hoping it wouldn't be that. I was hoping it would be this. So that, that's a weird thought as a parent. Like, or those times, oh, I thought it was going to be that, but it was this. You know, you just go through these weird emotions as parents. But they felt like they could because I'd offered something. And that child doesn't look at me different. I'm not less or more in their eyes based on that. It shows them I'm real. That when I became a Christian, like I really had sins I needed forgiven of. Like everybody else. And I still do. But also able to talk to them and celebrate with them the joy of forgiven sin. Like to, to, to just be in a relationship with God with no separation, no shame. To know that God knows it all and still welcomes me. And that, ah, by grace, that's what I want to give to you, son and daughters. I have a son, three daughters. One said it this way, parenting that exhibits a vital relationship with God and all the joys and storms of life is irresistible to children. Our homes are laboratories for our children. If God's word is dear to us, it'll be important to our children. We must be dazzled by God. We can't give away what we don't have. Delighting in God is more persuasive than many words. I think Ted Tripp is right. Delighting in God is more persuasive than many words. So how would your children answer this? How would my children answer this? You know, if I ran over, I don't know how many of you have children being watched here in the building tonight, but if I ran over there before you got them, i say, hey, what's your mom and dad passionate about? What would they tell me if they can talk? What would they tell me? 
What would be on their short list? What would my kids say? What are we passionate about? Well, I'm going to venture to guess it's, it, it, it's, it's tied to how we're spending our time, what we exude emotion about, <laughs> things like that. What are we passionate about? Hopefully on that short list, now I wouldn't expect him to say this in some cryptic way, but hopefully on the short list would be telling me about their relationship with Jesus. Hopefully that'd be on the short list, amen? That it's not just that mom and dad check off devotions with me or something like that, but they, they seem excited about Jesus. I get that from my parents, not because they're formally sitting me down, it's this time and we need to do that. Come on, we got to do this before we can watch the movie, so let's get it, you know? <laughs> that happens in our house, I confess. Sometimes. We got to have devotions, then we'll watch the movie. Um, it's, it's just happened. It has. Because I don't know why. It just has. I do know why. But anyway. Would it be on the list? We had a... We've done this. Uh, we try not to do this in a rote way. But we use birthdays other times to try to capture some of these moments. Uh, my birthday is in January. It gets fun because my, mine's the 11th of January. Melissa's, my wife's, is the, tw- the 12th. It's the next day. So we get, we get a, a twofer out of this kind of, you know, two nights in a row where our, our kids, particularly our ones, will laugh like, oh, it's a birthday. Here comes the awkward questions. And we, they laugh about that. They mean it in a lighthearted way. But we do. We try to ask things like, what's something you're particularly grateful for? Your mom or dad. And you know, those kind of questions. They're like, oh, what? oh, it's a birthday. That's why we're getting this question. Uh, tonight, um, because uh, many nights we're not asking questions in quite that same way, but we're asking that question. My wife asks, "What are you? What are you grateful for? What's something you appreciate? You know about your dad?" And uh, you're just sitting there waiting, you know, hoping they make something up or whatever. Uh, but my uh, my oldest daughter, Paige, who's here, uh, I. I'm grateful that dad prays. Like, whoa. Like, I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I would actually say I have so much growing to do in prayer. I, I feel too, I'm often, I feel living self-sufficiently or thinking I am. Uh, and pray when I get desperate versus at the start. But she's saying this and Melissa, a great job. Well, what makes you say that? Because every morning going into school, he prays for me. And I drive her to school every morning. And thinking, I don't know how many times I've been in this place praying in the morning. Like, I feel like, did I pray the exact same words yesterday for her? Like, is today's day going to be... And I'm, and I, but I am, I am praying as I'm praying, Lord, I, I, I really... I want her to get that I, I'm asking you to do something for her today. And this really is a new day. And yeah, this road is the same road we were on yesterday. There's that lady walking her dog again at the same time because we tend to go to school at the same time every day. We see Connie at 7-Eleven every morning. Uh, and she hits, I've got a 7-Eleven app here. And like once a week, one coffee's free because we're buying too much coffee. and all. It's all the same, 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 same. And it could feel that way when you pray too. But something in there she picks up and it's meaningful to her. And it isn't 
that I sat down with her and said, we're going to go through a book on prayer. It's just doing it. And it's a, it's a reminder, God, I, just, I wasn't even picking up that she was even noticing. And yet that's the first thing she references. Afterward, our, our, our modeling is powerful. Now, there's a, there's a lot of things that come to mind here. But uh, what are we modeling? Timothy knew. What do our kids know? Uh, recently, my son, uh, we, we gave him a choice. He goes to a private Christian school, and it's a good school. Uh, but it's not a perfect school. I told him the number one problem with your school is it has people in it. Uh, that's the number one problem I found everywhere. I mean, the thing I like the least about Metro Life Church is some of the people that go there, uh, including me, certain days. I mean, isn't that the problem in your house? There's some people that live in it, right? Um, there's this guy, it's it's corny joke, but it's, yeah, it's worth one corny joke. Uh, he's rescued from a deserted island, and they note, the rescuers note, that there are three structures he built. And the rescuer's like, well, tell me about these. He's like, well, that's my house. Okay. And that's my church. Okay. Well, what's the third one? That's my old church. You know, that's just, he's the only guy on the islands, you know? People are the problem everywhere. And my son's encountering that in school. People go there. People like you, people like me go there. And so we, we gave them we gave him an option to uh, make a choice whether he want to go back to that school or not for the next school year. But, but as part of that choice, we, we said something to him that I thought was just a throwaway comment, but it's what he picked up on. I said something effective. You know, so I, I've talked to Mr. Black and Mr. Kester and, and uh, Mr. Kramer, these are three friends of mine. He knows who these gentlemen are and moms talk to and we talk to them. And, uh, and we want to give you this, here's the option. And he said, after 10 more minutes of talking through some options and things, he said, so you talk to those people. Yes. Why did you? He was really sincerely asking, why did you talk to them? Because we're just, we're not sure if this is the right decision or not to give you a decision. <laughs> I mean, what parent in the right mind gives a 15-year-old a decision, right? I mean, about a school? Like, we're going to, like, cede that decision to you? Now, we put some guidelines up and all that jazz, but what, of everything we said, what hit him was that mom and dad went and got some input from some other people. And, and just to be able to model, without even realizing it, that, yeah, we don't have all wisdom, buddy. I'm, I really don't know if this is the right decision. But here's why we're presenting it to you. He chose to go back to the Christian school, by the way, which is a whole other story, which actually is part of the close. But the point is, there are things going on all the time in our home that we're not even really attuned to are actually the things that are standing out to our kids. That, that throwaway comment, that, that one little moment over there, that what you thought was that rote prayer again, <laughs> turn into the things that are modeling something for them. 
Don't despise those small things. And don't, if you're here with younger children, don't, don't diminish the impact that's going to have over time as you're just faithful to model by grace those things. It's a, it's a really cool thing when even a toddler mimics something a parent does. Because maybe a toddler observes a mom and a dad who had a conflict and then in a calm, patient voice, they ask one another forgiveness. And then you observe this little kid. You've all seen, you've all, many of you have seen that. They're picking that up from something. It's having an impact. That leads us then to provide them with instruction that's got some foundation to it. It's not just what mom and dad say. I've seen this imperfectly, but I've seen it. They've modeled this for me. We're very familiar with Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, where we're, we read the following. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. And I think there's a wrong and a right way to interpret that. I want to humbly submit this to you. Maybe I'm wrong in what I'm about to suggest, but I'm going to suggest it all the same. I think the wrong way to interpret this is that, oh, this is a picture of a father who's just beating upon his children constantly, incessantly, never talks about anything else, the commands of God. I don't think that's what is being said here. I think rather, in everyday life, in the mundane ways, in the small ways, when you're going to the grocery store, Mom, when you're picking up this stuff at the hardware store, Dad, when you're over here, when you're over there, just seize regular, normal opportunities to impress upon the hearts of your children the ways of God. In other words, it's not one massive dose. How many times have I, usually reacting to something one of my kids have done, thinking, okay, what you need right now is a 90-minute lecture where you will listen and you will receive an impartation and you will be transformed. That has never happened. Ever. Ever. Rather, small doses. Proactively. That's what I read in Deuteronomy 6. This isn't a dad or a mom waiting to react. They're just proactively taking up the normal opportunities that come. I mean, you think about it. Over the years, a whole lot can come out of that, those quick back and forth runs to the mini market or the whatevers. You know? And, and I, I, Melissa, if she were here, she'd tell you this. Our 20th anniversary is coming up in June. And she would say, over the years, Aaron, you've been great with the bigs. <laughs> you nail it on the big anniversaries. But just taking a walk with a cup of coffee is every bit as meaningful to me too. And she's not trying to diminish the work and the effort of the bigs. It's just, usually it's not our 20th anniversary, right? It's like, actually, it's only once. And then there's a whole lot of mundane, normal days. I think it's the same thing. She's saying, you know, what, what's really made our marriage what it is over the years isn't just those bigs. It's the everyday stuff. And I think that's what he's after here. Just the everydayness of it. In simple ways. Tie them as symbols on your hands. It's like that, oh yeah, hey, here's, a, here's an opportunity. Here's a way to talk about them when you sit at home. 
when you walk along the road. Oh, in other words, I don't have to wait for a men's retreat with my son to have a conversation. It could just be normal, going back and forth to 7-Eleven. So, I don't want to move to a close with with this here, but uh, back to my son in the school he's going to. Again, just don't underestimate the small moments. So it's January 7th this year. Uh, I may be off on my day. It was a Friday, Friday after New Year's, and he'd only been back to school two days. He only had school that week, Thursday, Friday, and he was on cloud nine all Christmas break because he was on Christmas break. And uh, I remember that. I mean, do you remember Christmas break as a kid? It was, it was, and do you remember the first day back? And like, what just happened to my life? Uh, well, that was my son that Thursday. But, but it's Friday night now. He's been back to school a, a sum total of 13 hours. And you've got to throw lunch in there and other things. I mean, how bad can 13 hours be? And this isn't a new setting. He's in year three in this school. So this is, he's got the rhythm and routine down. But you would have thought the, the, the level of his, his being down, his, his depression, if you will, like this is disproportionate. You can't get this sad over two days of school, man. It can't happen. Like what in the world happened with two days of school? And he was, he was just in a funk. And as he's talking a bit, and I just, just said, buddy, what, what's going on? And I mean, with a look that I, I don't know that I'd ever see him make in regard to school. It's like, this, this isn't just hyperbole. Like, whoa, something just came out of him. Like, I hate my school. And I'm thinking, I hate that I write a check to that school that you hate. I hate it more than you hate it. So, but I can't, I I don't know what to tell you other than what I believe was a spirit-inspired moment. And and some of this was some other conversations. And I wanted to say, hey, I'm not even going to open up to it. I think you know it. I'm just going to, I'll leave you with this tonight, buddy. I'm going to guess school is not the bricks and the halls. I don't think that's what you're talking about right now. So school probably has faces. And whatever those faces are right now. Jesus told a story of a man with so much sin who went in and pleaded his case. I can't pay this. Thought for a little while he could. Realized he couldn't. This astonishing thing happened. The guy told him, it's done. I've paid for it. You don't have to pay any of it. And he left. And my son, he's even normal. I probably would have done this. He's, he's sort of, he didn't do the full eye roll, but just enough to let you know, he's grown up in the church. He knows this. He knows Matthew 18. He knows this story. Bear with me, Bennett. He goes out. He sees someone, someone who owes him a couple bucks. And he demands that he pay it. Whoever the faces are, buddy, 
And whatever they've done, which I'm not saying isn't real, I just want to leave you with one question. Is whatever they've done greater than if the Lord were to call you to account tonight? Just think about it this weekend. And again, his face, and that's about how long it took. His face had all the look of, well, this was a wasted parenting moment. Uh, that just went right out. The, but, okay, so it goes. Uh, fast forward a month. Uh, he was on a uh, freshman, actually he was down your way. He was on an Everglades field trip. They take a ninth grade field trip to the Everglades. He was down here. Asked me repeatedly if I could get him out of it. I said, nope, you're, you're going. Uh, it's paid for, you're, you're going. Uh, <laughs> back to money. Yeah, I have an idol if you haven't picked that up. Uh, so he goes, he comes back, like, how was the trip? Uh, so actually, it went really well. Like, great. Now, one thing, and I've always loved this about my son, I don't think he's unique. You're probably quite like this. He, he left his tent each night and... You know, even though he's in South Florida and the lights of Miami aren't that far off, he can see the stars in the sky at night. When he gets out in creation, good things happen in his soul. When he gets out of suburbia, you know, and out of concrete jungle and gets out there, good things happen in his soul. That was one thing. So that's awesome. Well, what else? Anything else contribute to your trip? He said, I asked Maddie for forgiveness. Like, what does that have to do with your field trip? Who's Maddie? Ah, uh, he tells me the story, goes back to a month ago in our bedroom, talking about the parable of the forgiving servant. And what he didn't tell me, because he's a teenager, those of you who don't have teens, there's a lot your teens won't tell you. Uh, but occasionally it leaks back, and sometimes it's even good. What leaked back was he sent a text, I love this, he texted Maddie asking her forgiveness. I've never texted someone to ask forgiveness, but he did. I said, what'd she say? She said, is this Bennett? I said, like, as in like she doesn't know your number or as in like she was shocked you were asking? I, said, I think she was shocked I was asking. Okay, so what'd she say? I forgive you. Okay, now I know, I, I know his Bennett, Maddie name change for story. She's, she, she probably in her own right would be asking him forgiveness if she were responding to some things, but that didn't happen. And he didn't wait for her to do it. But he did it. And he found a whole dynamic is different at school. My school is suddenly not so bad. And I wish I could tell you it's always that way. I think I've blown it way too many times. I, I, have, I have pushed the moment. I've lectured. I've gone long. But in a moment that I thought was lost on him, a month later, and tells me that his mom had had a conversation with him earlier that day. I didn't know she'd had. It was essentially the same thing, and it was about as brief. What we think are just these moments where I don't know if anything is even getting in here. Turns out later to be a moment God used. And so my encouragement to you is model this for your kids. But take your instruction to your kids. 
Take it to them regularly, consistently, proactively, but take it to them in small doses. Especially as they're getting old. I mean, they don't even have attention spans when they're younger, and they really don't have them when they're older. (laughs) Uh, So keep it small, but keep it consistent. Impress them. Talk about them. Tie them. Write them. Bring it graciously. Looking for ways to disconnect it to your own life and story. Uh, I believe the more we do that, the, the more we're, whether we always see it, the more we've actually got our children's hearts. The alternative is to exasperate them. It's not a good alternative to frustrate them. To frustrate them because they hear us saying one thing, but they see us doing another thing. To frustrate them because we're trying to teach them everything we've ever learned or heard about something in one moment because we're reacting to something they've just done as opposed to recognizing, you know what? I mean, husbands, wives, have you ever had that moment late at night when you're tired and your spouse wants to keep on on a topic and you're just like, could I just throw the mercy card here? I, I don't, I'm not trying to tick you off. I do really, I, I, I'm, at the, I'm just, this is all I got tonight. This is it. Right? I mean, have you ever done that as an adult? Well, why wouldn't our kids need the same thing? It goes both ways. So we need, we need to recognize, they're not so different. I mean, Melissa and I generally have a rule. If it's after 1030 it's not that we're not allowed to have conflicts. Wouldn't that be great? Like, we're just not allowed to. So we never do because we're not allowed. No. What we recognize is we're not going to be very good for one another in trying to wrap all that up. So are we able to say we commit to come back to this tomorrow? Because neither of us are, we're just, we're, we're just not as gracious at 1030 <laughs> as we are at noon, etc. And so... It's got to be that way with our kids too, recognizing they need a grace-filled approach that includes, hey, I need to be faithful as your mother, as your father, but I can relate to you. And in an age-appropriate way, here's how. Well, Lord, I, I pray this hasn't been jumbled and confusing tonight, but Lord, I, I think our hearts in this Lord, we, we recognize this, this tension. We, we, when our children are small, the lines are very clear. We are their authority. And as their teens, we, we remain their authority. But Lord, there's, there's change in the relationship. There's, there's things that we may need to introduce that, that help them to see that we truly are on their side. And while we need to be faithful and call them to you and Call them to your word. God, we ask you for the wisdom to do that graciously. Lord, help us to know when to introduce things from our own life that would help our children to see that the things we're offering to them, they're, they're not only coming from you, but they're, they're coming from a, a relationship with you. Because we, we want what Timothy had for our children. We want our children to be able to have memories conjured up quickly where they can say, you know what? My mom and dad, they weren't perfect, but they were authentic. And, and when they blew it, they, they had the humility to confess it. And when 
They were having to say the same thing to us again. They demonstrated patience. And Lord, all the ways that's relevant, just send us out of here tonight just just with one way we can model your patience with us toward our children. And Lord, maybe if we've got teens, you'll help us to see a way we can maybe introduce them to a part of our life that might fill out for them a little more clearly why we're so passionately seeking to encourage them toward you. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.